you're being seated, I invite you to find a Bible, and if you will, turn to Acts chapter 2. Obviously, our text for this day is found in the second chapter of Acts. We're going to catch up with the disciples there in Jerusalem, where Jews have come from all around the world to participate in the festival of Shavuot. By the time of Jesus, the early church, uh, many of those Jews were speaking Greek around the world, so they called Shavuot Pentecost, which means the 50th day. The title of my message this morning is simply, There is More. After after we share the message together, everything from that point on is our response to hearing the Word of God, both the creed and then the hymn. That's our response to hearing the Word of God. After we respond with the creed, I will especially invite you now to consider responding during the hymn and offer more of yourself and the altar is a wonderful place to do that. Offer more of yourself to the Holy Spirit during our final hymn. So be praying toward that end as now we hear God's word found in Acts chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly from heaven... There came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as of fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability." Now there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem, and at this sound the crowd gathered and was bewildered because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, Are not all of these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Eliamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. In our own language, we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others sneered and said, They are filled with new wine. But Peter, but Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed them, men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and listen to what I say. Indeed, these are not drunk, as you suppose, for it is only nine o'clock in the morning. No, this is what was spoken, spoken through the prophet Joel. 
in the last days it will be. God declares that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even upon my slaves, both men and women, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show portents in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and smoky mist. The sun shall be darkened, turned to darkness, and the moon to blood before the coming of the Lord's great and glorious day. Then, then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is the word of God. Would you pray with me? Holy Spirit, tenderize our hearts with the oil and the wine of your presence. Tenderize our hearts toward you and one another. In the name of Jesus Christ, the one who baptizes in his spirit, we pray. Amen. First there came the death, burial, resurrection, ascension of Jesus. And there at the ascension of Jesus, Jesus told his disciples to go. He gave them a task to go into all the world and preach the good news of Jesus Christ. But he said to those disciples, first, before you go to the task, go back into Jerusalem and wait wait for the promise of the Father. They went back into the city and they waited for 10 days from ascension to the day of Pentecost. They waited for 10 days and then it happened. And there were visible signs. There were audible signs that it happened. They heard The sound as a mighty rushing wind as the Spirit filled the house. They saw the tongues of fire sitting on each head. They heard those early disciples speak in unlearned languages. So they heard, they saw, they spoke. I want to talk for just a couple minutes about the importance of seeking God's manifest presence. That's a phrase we've used throughout Christian history, and we need to learn how to seek God's manifest presence. Now, I know that all of us and many other religions around the world believe that God, the divine being, is omnipresent, so God is everywhere at all times, bidden or unbidden, God is present. But we Christians have talked about experiencing God's manifest presence. There are times when, as my African-American brothers and sisters say, he shows up. He shows up and he shows out. That's God's manifest presence, such as what we saw here on this first day of Pentecost. We still need to be seeking God's manifest presence. Not just a general sense that God is everywhere, but we need a fresh experience of God showing up. That is the power of heaven coming to earth. And that's what 
has been promised to us in the power of the Holy Spirit. When John Wesley preached among those early Methodists, if you go read his journals, you see that there were many, many times that God showed up amongst those early Methodists. John Wesley, if you look at his journal, he actually had a word that he used occasionally for what would happen to some of the people in the midst of their worship. It's not a word that I use very often, but John Wesley used it. He said people would become thunderstruck. Peter Bellini is a great theologian of the Methodist movement today. He's written a book entitled Thunderstruck where he's looking at the ministry of John Wesley, and he's helping us to remember that the ministry of John Wesley, the ministry of those early Methodists, was a ministry of deliverance. The theology of the early Methodists was first and foremost a theology of the Holy Spirit. How because of the Holy Spirit, Jesus returning to the midst of his people, we can be forgiven, we can be pardoned, We can be cleansed of our sin, we can receive a new heart, and we can go on from transformation to transformation to transformation, and we transform the world around us. He breaks the power of canceled sin. He sets the prisoner free, as our Methodist anthem says. That's what Methodism was raised up to do in our earliest days, to remind the body of Christ about the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Here on the first day of Pentecost, as the people watched the manifest presence of God happening, some sneered and said they were filled with new wine. To show you that you know some Greek, the word for new wine there is just simply glucose. They were filled with sweet wine. So they saw the manifest presence of God on that day. And then you notice that Peter stands up to preach. Don't miss that. Peter stands up to preach to the crowd. At the end of chapter 2, you'll see that 3,000 people come to Christ. For those of you that have been with me to Israel, I believe that Peter was standing on what we today call the teaching steps leading up to the Temple Mount. I believe that's where Peter preached. That's where he could have preached to 3,000 people. And there still have been discovered enough baptismal pools, mikvaot, gathered around the teaching steps that these 3,000 could have experienced baptism there after they came to Christ. Peter stands to preach in the midst of thousands. This is the same Peter that just a few days ago fled when Jesus was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. This is the same Peter that followed at a distance as Jesus was led to Caiaphas' house. This was the same Peter who betrayed Christ three times. He couldn't even speak boldly to a a young servant girl there in the courtyard of the high priest. He betrayed Christ three times. This is the same Peter that just a few days before you see behind locked doors gathered with disciples and they're afraid. They're afraid of the Jewish leadership. But on this day, he stands and he boldly preaches Jesus Christ. Don't miss that. Something has happened to Peter. 
He stands and he preaches. Notice how he preaches, and I wish more mainline Protestants would get this. Notice how he preaches. He preaches from the Bible. He preaches from the book of Joel. Again, the Old Testament was the only Bible the New Testament church had. They're in the process of writing New Testament. But Peter preaches from Joel. He goes back to what we call Old Testament. He brings out that prophecy where the prophet Joel said there would come a time, there would come a day when God would pour out his spirit on all flesh. There will come a day, according to the prophet Joel, when God would pour out his spirit on on men and women. Both would prophesy. That's a Bible word for preach. Because of the gift of the spirit being poured out on both your sons and your daughters. And notice he said that your young men shall see visions. And I've always been particularly grateful that he is quoting Joel who says, And your old men shall dream dreams. Sometimes as we get older, we give up dreaming. But through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can dream dreams and try to do something new and audacious for the cause of Jesus Christ. That's the day that Joel was looking forward to. That's the day that Peter was experiencing there on that first Pentecost, and that day is still yet this day, still yet this day. I've noticed over a long time of ministry that people, regardless of what denomination or liturgical tradition they come from, they like the noun Pentecost. They observe the liturgical calendar, they they, they observe the day of Pentecost. They'll even come out in red to celebrate the day of Pentecost. Almost all Christians like the noun Pentecost. But as soon as it gets changed into an adjective, Pentecostal, people start shifting in their pew. And they start shifting because of stereotypes. They start shifting because of fear. And it really should not be such. You know, the largest body of Christians in the world today is the Roman Catholic Church. The second largest body of Christians in the world today are those who claim a Pentecostal or charismatic experience of some sort. 500 million Christians around the world today Uh, identify with the renewal movement, with the work of the Holy Spirit, what the Holy Spirit has been doing, particularly in the last hundred years. Now that we're writing the church history of the 20th century, we're calling that century the Pentecostal century. And if you look at Christianity around the world, particularly south of the equator, in the global south, you'll see whether they're Anglican or Baptist or Presbyterian or Methodist. If you were to go into their worship services you would think they were Pentecostal because of the work of the Spirit that's been going on for the last hundred years around the world. I wish people wouldn't get nervous with that word, Pentecostal. One of my favorite hymns in the old Cokesbury, and some of you are old enough to remember the old Cokesbury, one of my favorite hymns that Methodists used to sing in the old Cokesbury was that hymn, Pentecostal Power. We Methodists, 
were the ones that were raised up in the 18th century to remind the church of Jesus Christ about the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit to change. And Wesley loved to preach about the new birth, which is being born from above through the power of the Spirit. But in the last hundred years or so, Methodists have gotten really nervous with that word Pentecostal. We are people of the Spirit. There is the cross, but there is also the flame in that symbol. God always has more for you and for me. God always has more. I want to recommend a book to you. It is entitled, There Is More. It's written by Randy Clark, who is rather well known today. In that book, Randy Clark, it's entitled, There Is More. The subtitle is, The Secret to Experiencing God's Power to Change Your Life. He says in that book, this book is about the impartation of that more. But what exactly is the more, he goes on to say? It is many things, more love for humankind, more love, more power, more anointing, more joy, more burden of the Lord for the lost, more revelation from God regarding the needs of others, more conviction over sin, more faith in prayer, more conversions, more gifts of the Holy Spirit, more healings, more deliverances, more churches planted, and more of the culture being leavened by the kingdom of God. I don't know if you know this or not. I hope you know this, but every time I I mount this pulpit, I'm really preaching to me, and I'm letting you overhear. I need to consistently and constantly hear God saying to me, there is more. And I need to not be afraid of the more that God has for me. Same for you. Don't be afraid of the more. Now, I know as human beings, as part of our sin nature, we are control freaks, We're control addicts. I hope that all of us in this room, we're on that process of sanctification, that process of spiritual growth, and we are at least recovering control addicts in this room. There's some things God has given into our control. There's a lot of things, a lot of people that God has not given into our control. We don't need to be be afraid what God wants to do in us and through us and for us. We can find the freedom that is ours in Jesus Christ. John Wesley, in a sermon he preached in 1750 entitled Satan's Devices, recommend this one to you, John Wesley said, For all fear except the fear of the Lord freezes and benumbs our soul. It binds up all the springs of the spiritual life and stops all motion of the heart toward God. We don't need to be afraid. We don't need to be afraid even to relinquish some some control because we know that God is not the author of confusion. God will never cause us to do something unseemly, but we can trust God to give us the more, whatever that more is for each one of us. I hesitate to say it because I've said it so often in the last six years. 
As a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit, but does the Holy Spirit have you? We're going to respond to God's Word on this Pentecost. Uh, Pastor Clark will lead us to profess our faith through the creed, then we'll sing a hymn. And as I've already told you, I invite you to consider on this Pentecost Sunday, I invite you to consider offering yourselves to God anew and saying to God, you're not afraid of the more, whatever that may be, that you want all that God wants to give you this morning.